Welcome in. This is your Jock Market Power Hour for Thursday night, and it's a very special crossover episode. I'm Rick Gaiman, that right there, Joe Idoni. Joe, like nothing we've ever done before. Are, are you are you ready for this? What what do you think is in store for this for this evening? I'm ready, man. Uh, not only do we have Thursday night football IPO to talk about, we got a special guest. We get to talk. We're going to chat a little bit of Ryder Cup matchups at the end now that they're finally released. Uh, let's go, buddy. Yeah, here we go. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk Thursday night football to start. That IPO, that cash market, it's open now. You can get your bids in for players. And then after uh, our special guest comes in, gives us a little insight, gives us some strategy, some players to keep an eye an eye on, uh, Joe and I are going to break down the Ryder Cup pairing. So if you have any questions, concerns, comments, throw them in the chat. But without further ado, joining us from FTN, it's him. It's John Legaza. John, thank you so much you are the very first official like cross promo jock market guy we've ever had <laughs> well how are you guys doing i really appreciate it rick and joe thanks for having me man you guys have such a cool connection i really was catching up with the show again we were talking off air i'm really trying to get sharp into this golf thing man <laughs> it is so popular with a lot of really cool people i mean when i was younger golf on tv kind of you know kind of came with a weird kind of mantra to it like a weird stigma and now listen it's a young man's gamers following it seems really exciting and you guys have kind of been my outlet to it so i want to thank you right off the bat before we get off into the football man i'm really enjoying it i think i'm gonna stick around for the entire episode <laughs> well much much appreciated yeah they are they're athletes now joe aren't they they gone are the days of uh you know out of shape players these golfers are more like athletes but let's let's get into this i know i know the cash market's open right now for thursday night yep. football and uh i will uh preface this by saying I, i'm certainly not a football guy i'm gonna lean heavily on youtube but john i'm looking at this panthers texans matchup the panthers are eight point favorites how are you just in general assessing what we can expect to see tonight out of this thursday night matchup well, I think you actually leave me in a, in a perfect spot to begin. Sometimes the best place to start is right at the beginning. I like to think of it as taking a 35,000-foot view to begin, right? What is kind of our overview? What are we expecting? And, again, not that they know what's going to happen, right? Las Vegas and the books, the casinos, they don't know what's going to happen. They are a fulcrum on the lever to attract equal money on both sides of the seesaw. Okay, but but that should give us an idea – particularly with as sharp as NFL markets are, what the general overview is. So let's get right into it. One of my claims to fame, gentlemen, is, and it's funny, with my baseball work, I can be very cold and analytically driven. Baseball, of course, giving <laughs> us it. literally thousands of opportunities, right, to run our analysis. And the data can kind of overcome the sample size. Football does not always allow that. Mm. So, man, it's funny with football. I watch every single snap, believe it or not. I've seen every single snap. So far, I'm not. No, you have not. Do. You've but seen every, every single yeah. snap. I'm, I'm, I'm of every I'm, game. Of every game. You got the all twenty-four or what? By the time, by the time Sunday happens, I will have seen every one of every game because it's only Thursday. I have seen every snap of tonight's <laughs> teams, and I'm about Amazing. halfway through. And to be honest, I don't just watch them; I watch them and take notes. Again, I'm not a I'm I'm not a professional <laughs> football scout, nor do I pretend to be, but. One of my claims to fame is also, man, I like to gravitate towards smart people because they help me make money. Then, believe it or not, I actually be quiet for a little while, let them speak. So I've learned how to kind of break down tape, and a really good way to do it, people, is to take notes. You're not always going to remember all the little bit. So right into it, 
What's the overview say? Houston, a team that I really liked, believe it or not. Why? Because they carry bad team bias. I love public narrative to skew the truth, right? However, Houston loses Tyrod Taylor, and now they're moving to Davis Mills. And if you watch that game, though Houston did move the ball with him, they did not do it without the help of the referees. They did not. I don't even know if they made a first down without a penalty. He had a really rough job, and I think even more so. The thing, again, I like to watch the tapes, but then I also consult the stats. Gentlemen, I, I shared with you a little cheat sheet, if you will, a little team stat cheat sheet. We can throw that out there. That's available for everybody because, again, I'm an open book, right? The thing that jumps off the page for me, check this out. Carolina Panthers, first in defense, points allowed, plays run. Total yards, yards per play, total DVA, defensive yards per drive, defensive time of possession per drive, defensive success rate. And again, I could probably hit you with another 15 across the board, rush DVOA, adjusted line yards, right? So these are not just surface stats. I'm not just reading the back of the football card to you. These are one of the, really one of the mantras for my own show, gentlemen, are inputs greater than sign outputs, right? Mm. We can't be determining football I don't want to say the future, right? We don't want to rely on old surface stats as being predictive. They are not. There's too many moving pieces. There's too much context. So that's why I watch the tape, then go back and pair it with the stats. So I've got a bad Houston offense hobbled without a quarterback, and I've got a really red-hot defense on the other side. This one looks like it's going to get really ugly for Houston. I'm not going to get cute with them at all, Joe. I know people like to hear that, well, Brandon Cooks has been very good. Well, Brandon Cooks had an NFL quarterback for ringing the ball and was getting some protection against defenses that were not great up front. If Carolina runs the kind of creative defensive schemes we've seen, they are going to be a handful, an absolute handful for the Texans. And then when you flip side, here's some caveman analysis. CMC good. DJ Moore good. You know, the Panthers. Even even I know that, that those guys can get get the job done. Everybody knows that, and that should be just enough. The Texans are, have been good on defense, not great, but I don't think anyone is going to be able to bottle up those boys in black and blue today, man. So those... it's, it's all systems go. When you said minus eight, I think this should be more like 11 or 12. So you can see where I'm going with my money. Wow. The Panthers heading to Houston for this game, Joe. Uh, first thing off the bat, could you imagine if we could see every single shot of golf? Could you imagine? Would you, If we could see every shot, would you grind film? Would you grind film? Well, over the, difference, the difference there, I would grind a little bit on my guys, maybe dig a little bit in, but we got 156 guys in the field shots. every week that are going to hit shots. 72 shots over wow. four rounds. So they're going to yeah. hit 280-some uh, shots. I don't think I could keep up with it, John. Well, well, in my defense, I am using, you know, um, at the show for other people, you know, there are avenues available to watch just yeah. the snaps and say without promoting yep. anything else. You know, so – I find that is especially helpful. However, you really have to be focused. You cannot take your eyes off it. You cannot put your notebook down because you miss an entire drive, throwing off the context with which, like the entire point of like I was saying. So it sounds a lot more fun than I thought it was to begin with. (laughs) I I could see how I could get into that eventually. Joe, you heard John's assessment of this game. You obviously, uh, you know, I'm biased to the PGA cash markets. I know you dabble in all the cash markets on Jock Market. When you see a one-game slate, Right. One game, there's 
wide receivers we've got to uh, consider with upside. There are running backs with upside. We've got a rookie quarterback making his first start. When you start to take what John just told us and translate that into how this might play out in the jock market, what are the what are the things that you're starting to see with, I don't know, 45 minutes to go until we until we kick this thing off? So single game slates, I find to be the best avenue for me in the jock market in terms of NFL play. Now, that's just because, John, I don't watch every snap of every game, right? I'm a Browns fan. I watch my Browns games on Sunday. I'll catch the primetime games. But, you know, I'm not catching all 32 teams. So these I find a little bit you can gain a little bit of leverage in terms of uh, you have less to focus on. Right now there's 24 guys in the field, you know, uh, in the entire market for jock market tonight. The pricing fluctuates. What I usually like to target, John, in these type of markets is, you know, your your top tier guys like McCaffrey's already $16 plus a share, right? That's going to be hard to turn a big property. He has to finish first or second, which he probably will. But even so, the upside necessarily isn't there. What I like to go to a lot of times, I try to focus on the team that I think is going to win the game, produce more yards, produce more points, because that's ultimately how the scoring is done. And I like to look at those tight ends and maybe the second or third wide receiver or potentially a goal line back who you can get at a cheaper price, a little bit further down the list, but has touchdown potential. Because what I see in football that's different than golf is you get these big jumps up the board, right? If you have a guy score a 40-yard touchdown, all of a sudden get 10 points, you can go from 14th all the way to third, just like that, and vault up the leaderboard quickly. Are you seeing that, John? Are you seeing that most people are investing their hard-earned dollars in quarterbacks and star skill players? Is there is there a lack of market for second and third wide receivers for tight ends? Is it is it team dependent? What do you generally see when you're in the jock market? Well, I, man, I think what part of what I love so much about it is it's unpredictable, mm-hmm. and uh, it, man, it really is a place where sharp players are playing. And I'll give you a perfect example. For DFS, which is a fun game, and I get it. You know, I, I get people love it. It's fun. But those prices are posted. The price is dictated to you. Everybody gets to stare at it, and then everybody goes after the same price. They're really – it's funny. That only kind of takes you like nine-tenths of the way of the problem-solving without the most important part, that final tenth of deciding the true worth of the decision. Right, You can do your own projections and decide that player X is worth the dictated price. The thinking ends there. Everybody's thinking ends there. And there you end up with these wild ownership numbers that kind of take away a lot of the fun or the skill. Um, Joe mentions McCaffrey. Mm -hmm. This is where this game is so interesting because he's going to be priced up to a point where you have to decide it's not worth it anymore, right? Unless people, I don't know if they're familiar, the the top player will get $25 per share. He's already at 16. So he is already looking at kind of a deflated potential return in the best case scenario. I think you have to let that go. You have to let other people chase that. And that's what I love about it. In DFS, everybody wins together on that dictated price. In Jock Mart, not the case. I chase it up to point X, then I let it go, and you can have that. And I think Joe's line of thinking is extremely sharp. Looking for the other routes, I think particular where he's getting at is, is touchdowns, right? Yeah. Touchdowns are everything, and a good place to get them are with tight ends. And I yeah. think in particular today, that's where I'm looking. Let's, let's look at this just a little bit. It is a little bit early. However, I it would is. probably assert defensive statistics – stabilize a little bit sooner than on the offensive side. Generally, it's a personnel thing. And 
the Texans have been really poor at defending tight ends. They're worst in receptions allowed, and I believe they're bottom three in yards allowed. Right, So you move over to Carolina, and I think it's intuitive and it's very easy to go after DJ Moore. He leads in snaps. He leads in targets, of course, but his price will dictate that. I think once you get beyond him and Anderson, I was looking at a guy like Arnold, and he was – you know, he was getting his targets. I believe it's seven targets so far. I think it was three and four. Either way, that would that'll do it on a 24 games late if he catches three of those, and one of them happens to be in the end zone. I mean, it's funny again, Jock Morgan, you have to forgive me looking at the phone, but the, the game kind of moves, you know, fast like that. All right, right now Arnold is at a dollar ten. And again, if you're familiar, every share will return at least $1 back to you. Meaning if you goose egg, you get the worst score on the board, you get a dollar. So his dollar 10 is actually 10 cents with a potential of returning $25. So that's 10 times 10 times 25. So that's 250 times profit potential right now on Dan Arnold, if he catches two touchdowns. Yeah, if he stumbles into the end zone twice. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you really can't find that anywhere else, including right. prop betting and stuff, people. So I think- yeah, you couldn't even. You probably couldn't even get a good number on him for multiple touchdowns like that. The the one no thing way. that yeah, um, yeah. For uh, first of all, if I was the commissioner of all fantasy sport, I would make Christian McCaffrey two players. Uh, you only get the receiving. <laughs> Or you only get the the rushing. You got to decide which one you want, and then we'll price them accordingly from there. I think that would be a little bit more fun. Joe, we talk about this all the time, um, and this is not just to the PGA cash markets. It's it's that there's a price for everyone, right? And at some point, we might be getting involved on Houston Texans in a way that we might not have considered, uh, you know, an hour ago. So after hearing John's assessment and I, I, I have not seen a single snap of either of these two, two, two teams play all year <laughs> long. Uh, I'm expecting a blowout, right? I'm expecting the Carolina Panthers to kind of control this game. We've got a rookie quarterback, uh, making his first ever start for the Houston Texans, uh, with, with an offense that, I, I mean, this, to me, this looks like an old offense. I don't know. Mark Ingram, Brandon Cooks, maybe those guys aren't washed. Is there is there any targets on this Houston side that you might look up a few minutes before this IPO closes and say, you know what? There's a price for everybody. Well, the one thing, Rick, is is in these, particularly in these single game slates, quarterbacks do pretty darn well. Like even Monday nights, uh, Jared Goff scored really well in the jock market. Look, Davis Mills is one-sixth of the price of Sam Darnold right now. Is he good? I watched every snap last week during the Browns game. Tyrod Taylor kind of pieced us apart in that first half. He came in and really did nothing. But there's something to be said about a backup quarterback getting sort of first-team reps, his first start. The defense doesn't really have any film on him. And, Rick, it's a Thursday night, and weird shit happens in the NFL on Thursday nights. I was thinking about that <laughs> angle too, John, right? I mean, one, there is there is no film, right? There is, it's, it's this weird short rest early in the season. Do we even know what these teams really are yet? Is there some side of this where we can say, okay, let's embrace the volatility, let's embrace the unknown, let's look at some Houston Texans and see if we can find some targets for this evening? Yeah, yes, because I think you're really touching on a very important point in handicapping in general. Well, it's probably two, and it's one, not being too arrogant, and which kind of dovetails into understanding range of outcomes. Anybody can win on any given day. Mm-hmm. No matter what your model and projections might say, 
you always have to understand there's backdoors and wonky stuff. I, when I first got into this, the same gentleman, high school coach, who was teaching me how to learn tape said, the game's unpredictable because the ball isn't round. And we don't know which way it's going to bounce. So I actually thought that was kind of profound. He's not very smart, but I thought that was kind of profound anyway. But, <laughs> yeah, it um, sounds nice. And then you, I think about a lot of yeah, round yeah, ball is. sports that are uh, a little crazy too. <laughs> but, but two, I think of one in particular, Rick. Yeah, I don't know. I'm about thinking you. of that one too. Yeah. <laughs> to Houston, and I think this touches off what I opened with, and being careful with season stats in particular. Houston is going to look to attack the weakness of Carolina. They really haven't showed many. One would probably be. Up front, I know people hear McCaffrey and they know he's 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 excellent player. They haven't really done it between the tackles. It has not been done with a conventional run game. You know that that the Carolina D has just been okay. You know the Carolina, oh, it's just been okay running the ball. I think Houston, if they're going to do it, if they're going to do it, it's going to be Ingram between the tackles, which sounds weird. And it's funny that was one of my prop bets for tonight is uh, Ingram to go over ten and a half carries is actually at plus money and uh, it's something he did twice he actually went 26 week one and then 14 week two I think you'll see that be the approach right off the bat I don't believe they'll ask Mills to do anything they didn't ask Taylor to do I think Joe Joe's assessment of that was right on the money sometimes there were vanilla offenses but I thought the Texas offense with Tyra Taylor was one of the good vanillas, like one of those slow churn vanillas. They were moving it. Yeah, they were. Again, uh, ball fakes, timing, and being deceptive around the line and having good, again, chemistry and continuity with your ball catchers means a lot. Houston wasn't dazzling anybody, but if they suck in defenders with a play action and the ball ends up on the tight end's numbers, they're going to make first downs. That's just the nature of the game. So to that point, Joe, there was somebody I liked in – Week one, that he was a favorite target of Taylor. He missed week two. I think he played and maybe got a target with no catches. And it's Farrow Brown, the tight end for the Houston Texans, who I who I was watching. Again, I, I hate to beat this. I was watching the tape, and I, there's something to be said for that. He was relied on in a very essential spots. He made a huge grab on third and one. They trusted him. They went over the top to Farrow yeah. Brown. He made a catch inside the five, and it was like a circus catch. He's a big dude. And has agility. And I wonder, he was not on the injury report. Have you looked at Farrell Brown? Maybe, right? Ingram to the middle, and then they're going to try and work it to Brown. I'm just trying to piece together a world that Texans win, because I think we have to assume bracket coverage on Brandon Cooks all night. Yeah, I've, in terms of Farrell Brown, I know last week he was dealing with like a little bit of an ankle issue, so he didn't take a lot of the snaps uh, yeah. against the Browns. And they ended up going to this guy, Atkins, who had – a reasonable amount of success. I mean, they threw him a couple times, but I think you make a lot of sense where if Brown steps back into that uh, more prominent role at tight end, he's much lower ranked. He's still going for a dollar a share as of right now. When I look, you know, a couple of minutes away from IPO here, we know how that can obviously change 15 yeah. pre-ranked, but still sitting right there at a buck. Yeah. So he's free. Right. So, he's free. so for, you know, what's funny. And I, I think Rick mentioned something really, it's funny because and I do the Jack Morgan show for NFL and it's analysis and this, I like this and projections, what I expect. And then at the very end, I just go sweep the bottom of the board and I <laughs> catfish thing. I bust out the whiskers and I just, you just look the bottom feed because again, if you could get somebody for five cents, that is part of it. Again, I mentioned the board. If you can get a player in a 50 point implied total game for a nickel, you roll that nickel people. You know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. it's that simple. 
let me let me bounce this right back to you, John, because I think it's an interesting dynamic, not only because the jock market allows you to have as many players or as few players yeah. in your portfolio as you would like. I imagine on a single game slate, there has to be a point of diminishing returns where yeah. you, you can't you don't you can't have a portfolio of every single uh, athlete on the field this evening. Is is there kind of um, a range that you'd like to stay within that you have found to be successful in the number of the number of football players? I almost said golfers that are going to be in your portfolio <laughs> well i i want to avoid i'm generally avoiding anything in the fit if i get 15 dollars looking to return 25 i say thanks but no thanks at the very least i want a 100 potential return so mm-hmm. you can cancel me out at 12 dollars and 50 cents for any player in any position interesting because just i mean game script could take a player out of it uh, a soreness or, you know, any kind of injury. Yeah. I, I don't like that. I'm not going to chase that. I'm not going to chase that. When I kind of build up my narrative, I'm also lopping people off that I know I'm not interested in. So I'm not going to go to the second and third wide out on Houston. If Brandon Cooks ends up being forgotten, I'll have exposure to him. I mentioned mm-hmm. Farrell Brown. I'd probably get exposure to him. But even, you know, I mean, I, man, I'd be on that. It's, it, I don't want to start throwing money at guys that I don't think can produce Sunday with the full slate is going to leave opportunity, like legit high scoring opportunities. And I'd rather listen. I'd rather just not overextend. Sometimes a bad bet is, you know, no bet I should say is worse than a bad bet because when you lose, you have to win more than that to get it back. Right. If you have a hundred dollars and you lose 10%, you're down to 90. And if you make 10%, you're only at 99. So, it's easy to say I made 10 and lost 10%. It's not a wash, people. You're down 1%. Repeat that over and over and over again enough times. You'll be at zero. Okay, so mm. no bet better than a bad bet. So I'd rather take the no bet. Sometimes I say the best lean is up against the wall with your money in your pocket. There is. I like that. There is uh, something we were talking about, Joe. I can't remember if we were talking about this before we went hot or on this show, but the volatile nature of football, you know, in – Obviously, in basketball, there are you know a certain number of points per minute. You generally get uh, a consistent level of scoring. Baseball is very volatile because home runs can kind of swing things. But in football, uh, you were mentioning like a forty-yard touchdown pass or a long run can really swing the outcome of entire markets on one or two plays. Does that lead you to building portfolios that are uh, riskier, that are of higher upside? What what is the composition of the these portfolios tend to look like i think that with football you can pay and it's easier to do with one game of course than an entire slate of sunday one o'clock games but you can really kind of like the beauty of jock market is that once the game kicks off or once the first ball is hit down the fairway you can still play right it's not like DraftKings. it's not like you're betting tickets where you're dead so if you can kind of get a feel for the rhythm of the game if one team is down by 14 like if texans get down early they're probably going to have to pass a lot, right? Which gives you opportunity to maybe try to get some of these receivers. Maybe you get Davis Mills because he threw an early pick and you can get him at a good price. At the same token, if Carolina gets up early, they're going to lean on Christian McCaffrey pretty hard. So you can kind of pay attention to to games like situational football type stuff. If you see a team is getting the ball, you know, in, in a two-minute drill in the end of the first half and they're going to steal an extra possession, like possessions are everything. Like if one team can get – if you can go from eight possessions to nine possessions, you just get another opportunity for every guy that you own on that team to score a touchdown – um, so you, you, you can kind of like what's nice about it is you can play along with the game and try to find additional opportunities as it progresses. Love that. 
I love that. In fact, you know, I wonder if any if either of you guys have instituted this on Sunday. I always make sure to have a bunch of shares for the night game. Jock Market runs through the 8 p.m. slate uh, games, which DraftKings does not. And since it's based off projections, those players are going to be wildly inflated. So here's a little profit tip for the cheapskates out there like me with, you know, really short arms but deep pockets. Buy the cheapest player in the night game, and you could sell it for double at 4 p.m. every week. Just yeah. okay, I'm, I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes right now. Uh, the, the idea of the full slate is, uh, is kind of interesting before we get you out of here, John, because that is to me, one game, two teams. I get it. Uh, game script, game flow, all that good stuff. But when you inject a bunch more teams, uh, a bunch more players, a lot of stars from all over the place, how do we even begin to assess that slate? Is it via the the Vegas line? Do you already have a couple of guys in mind that you you want to keep an eye on? Like, what's generally how we're going to attack one of those full slates? Yeah, well, a a, pro, a good piece of that comes from my background with handicapping baseball. So it's a full slate seven days a week. So you become used to. If you go one of my analogy, my favorite analogy is building a sandcastle right on the shoreline. No matter how beautiful it is, come the morning time, washed away, and that's it. So you kind of have to, whether it's win or lose, whether you put, were able to put little decorative curtains on the sandcastle, doesn't matter. The work gets washed away. You have to have that mentality. But also it makes you good at, at maybe I would, like I used the word lop before. That's not a great word. How about like amputate? You know, where as I'm doing my assessments, there are games I don't want a part of. You can have that. And generally, if people would like a specific a lot of the times for me, it's pace of play and drive stats. You heard me mention adjusted line yards, the line play. You heard me mention the pace with um, seconds per play. And I'll give you something we could apply today. Most people don't realize it because, again, a lot of times it's narrative-based. The Panthers are one of the slowest teams in the league. They take 30 seconds per um, thirty seconds per play. That's like bottom four in the league. And then because they're near the middle towards the top in yards per drive, you add those two things together, and what you get are low scoring generally. Also, Carolina's had problems kicking, so there too. But so what happens there is you kind of do a general analysis, and I, I, it's it stinks because in those games you know there might be a superstar, but you have to be willing to let it go and chase the things, be more focused, narrow it down to the games you want to be a part of, and then more specifically the players you want a part of in that game. And then the last part is that catfish mentality to grab people. I had one tremendous hit in week one. I was telling you before we hopped on Debo Samuel was going off for two bucks and it just <laughs> fell pay. You know, like, if that's what happens in the full market, it, it think grains of sand are going to fall through the, the, the fingertips. And I was there, you know, the catfish to suck that up, man. And I cracked the jock market open the first day. I really, I mean, I was up a thousand bucks before the kickoff happened. I love it. I love it. This is this is getting me all amped up for a little Thursday night football, for a little Sunday action. John, uh, first off, thank you so much for, oh, for popping on. Tell yeah. everyone, if, if we need more John, and I do, Ooh. where can we find you? Oh, man. If you want more, there is plenty on this <laughs> wonderful place called the Internet. Go on love Twitter it. at MLB Moving Averages, but also NFL Moving Averages. My name is John Legeza, L-A-G-H-E-Z-Z-A. Y'all, my work right now is at FTN Bets. We are having a lot of fun, man, making a lot of money. And if you could tell, you know, you can't always guarantee as a handicapper you're going to win over a week or a month or even six months as it happens. 
what I like to tell people is if you put in the effort into me to teach you, you're going to leave understanding how to turn sports betting into a supplementary income. If that's something you're interested in, you know, being your own small business, running it as such, you know, it really is a lot of fun to be your own boss. And I am, you know, I don't have a job. This is what I do. This is how I keep my, you know, the lights on and the kids fed, man. And I got a really hot wife somehow. Got to keep her happy, man. You got to keep those bills paid, you know? John Legaza, much appreciated, my friend. Good luck tonight. Good luck this week, and good luck for many weeks. I'll see really you, Joe. I'll see you in the chalk market, Joe. We nice to meet you guys. Thanks. Sounds good, John. See you, man. Take care, John. Wow, see thanks you. so much, man. <laughs> oh man, I love it. I'm amped up. How about it, Joe? He injected a little energy Ooh. into this show, Ooh. man. It's like a little shot of red. That mission. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, love it. I like that. Uh, all right, let's change, let's change gears a little bit here to uh, something I'm much more comfortable speaking about. That is uh, that is golf, my friend. And it has finally happened. We have the Friday foursomes on the eve of this Ryder Cup getting started. Before I reveal them, how good is this going to be? This is just oh, going to be so good. Goodness. It's going to be fantastic. We've waited an additional year for this thing to happen. It's been five years since we've had one of these, since we've hosted a team event on U.S. soil, right? Because the President's Cup was over there in Australia. Like, the yeah. fans are back, and we see some of this with football. And I, and I talked a little bit about this earlier this week, but, like, just I think the appreciation of like fans to be back tailgating and in the stands together for football games, it's something they're not taking for granted. It seems to be a ton of fun, and they are going to bring it this week in Wisconsin. Yeah, they are, and here we go. Let's just jump into these. First match out. First match out. Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, no surprise. Going off against the world number one, John Rahm and Sergio Garcia, the Spanish Armada, I believe I've heard people describe this. <laughs> um, do, do you like this? Where this is seemingly uh, each captain saying, I'm giving you my best right out of the gate. I'm going to try to put a full point on the board immediately. So <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous about this from a Team USA perspective. I think that our best team is Xander and Cantlay. Um, I, I'm not so bullish on Jordan Spieth right now. Like I honestly, I don't know that he's, he's, I'm a little nervous about Justin because he hasn't been playing great either. Um, Spieth, especially in a four ball format. And, and Tom talked to me about this. He, like he can be a little neurotic. He can be a little wild. Justin can be a little wild. Um, I think that this may have been a, a, a a strategic play where he wanted to sort of free Cantlay and Xander up to be his anchor, right? Because that's the match that everyone's going to kind of, that this first round is going to end on and bring a little momentum. Um, I'm a little bit nervous about the Spanish Armada. How about you? Um, yeah. I, listen, anytime you get John Rahm with whoever, it would have been formidable. Mm -hmm. um, Serge, to me, this, this European team is incredibly top-heavy, and I think that what they did is they said, okay, we are just going to kind of put all of our eggs in one basket. That's Rahm and Sergio. We'll get to some of the other ones here in a second. But that is, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a very, very tough, tough group to beat. They're, they're very, very yeah. Sergio has been very good for the last couple of months. And John Rahm has obviously been on another planet. So the, like what we've talked about all week, right? Everyone has talked about is, is whistling straights, the way that they set up 
Team USA handpicked this place because of our prowess off the tee. Garcia and Rom have a massive advantage off the tee in this matchup uh, against both players. Oh, I think Garcia is a better driver than Thomas or or yeah, uh, or Spieth, and and Rom is possibly the best player tee to green in the world right now. So um, they have a big leg up here. I think that we're banking a lot on the the maybe the best buddies narrative and like these guys just know how to get it done together. And JT has been fantastic. Uh, Spieth has a great record in these four balls, which actually surprised me. It's uh, stunning, isn't it? It's stunning. It really is. Cause I feel like he'd be the, like if, if I had to pick someone to play with, I'd pick anyone but him because he's going to put you in weird spots. He's going to like hole out or do something crazy. Like that's what the expectation is. But if he doesn't hole out and he doesn't hit the 12 foot putt, What's he really doing well for you? Um, That's the concern for me. Well, there we'll we'll make a little prediction here in a minute, but let's get to match okay. number two. DJ Dustin Johnson going out with Colin Morikawa, and they're going out against Paul Casey and Victor Hovland. I got to tell you, Joe, uh, Morikawa and DJ, we knew that was coming. Uh, we assumed Hovland. I think Hovland's probably playing five five sessions. I did not necessarily see the pairing with Casey coming, but I don't mind it. Neither did I. Um, I don't mind it either. I think that they have like five guys off the tee who are really set up nicely for whistling straights and it, and it ends at Sergio, right? So this is another matchup with two of those five guys. And then I think the other seven on their team are at a little bit of a disadvantage when you get to Fitz, Hatton, Westwood, Fleetwood, uh, Poulter, like I think that's where where we're going to be able to play up sort of the distance narrative. Um, but these two guys are good off the tee. You know, I, I'm I I feel much better about this matchup. But there's also a little bit of concerns there with Colin being a rookie and with DJ, uh, frankly, not caring near the form that he was a year ago. I, I, DJ's year was. Um... I mean, by his own standards, the worst in recent memory because he didn't win, right? right. You know, so right. so that that certainly doesn't help. I love that we're getting, and I hope we get this in Sunday singles. I want to see Morikawa versus Hovland on Sunday. Like, please, give, please. give me that. We get the two please. rookies. The two rookies being uh, paired with veterans. And that's something you're going to see a little bit later from the Europeans as well. Uh, that's It's really cool. It's really interesting. I'm not sure what to make of that matchup. I think that's closer to a toss-up. Matchup number three, Brooks Kepka, Daniel Berger, the Florida State Seminole connection going up against Lee Westwood and Matt Fitzpatrick. Now, Fitzpatrick's making his second Ryder Cup appearance. He's not a rookie, but you're still taking that kind of young, inexperienced guy, and you're sticking him with Lee Westwood, the man who has been here more than anybody else to try to stabilize a bit. This is a win for Team USA, right? This is a win. One would hope so. This, this, is, has gotta, this has got to be a win. And I, and I saw the odds, and this is the most that they're favored in any matchup, the early odds from Caesars that you put out. I think it makes a great bet. Um, I think Brooks is ready. I think Daniel Berger is taking this thing very seriously, and he's been prepped for it. Uh, you know, they both – it's like one of the few guys that, that Brooks is kind of cool with. You know what I'm saying? They play together quite a bit over there in Jupiter. Like the girlfriends are very close as well. Like they're, they're, they're cool with each other. So I think this will be a good, comfortable matchup for Brooks. I think that he is ready, and I think that Strick's going to lean on him. 
This is the only matchup. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. This is the matchup where the Americans are the biggest favorites against Caesars. Uh, I don't know about an hour or so ago released released the odds on this. They might be moving pretty quickly, but as when they first came out, um, Kepka and Berger minus one twenty over Westwood and Fitzpatrick at plus one sixty. How many matches does Brooks Kepka play in this in this whole Ryder Cup? I think it's going to be four. Ooh. I would love to see him go five. It's probably – I was going to say three, but the fact that he's going out first, I think it's yeah. going to be four now. But I think if he's healthy, you know how I feel about Brooks, right? I yeah, think you might you might be the wrong guy to ask about this. <laughs> I think that he's one of the top four players on our team, and I think that you play him – if you're trying to win this thing, you play your best players as much as possible, and you're not worried about uh, hurting Harris English's feelings along the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking three, one each day and then single well, one each day, I guess, is what it would end up being. But we'll see. I'm excited about that. I think that's a that's a wild card team right there. That could that could kind of swing things for me. And then finally, the anchor match on Friday morning, Patrick Cantley, Xander Shoffley, the team that Joe said is the best team that we have going up against Rory McElroy and Ian Poulter. So this is one of Europe's best in Rory getting paired with a very vocal, emotional Ian Poulter, who has shown up time and time again at the Ryder Cup. Cantlay and Xander, uh, small favorites. They're minus 111 to Poulter and Rory's plus 145. So I guess they're actually decent favorites. Yes. Um, I love this Team USA team. I think that this is going to be the reason that we win the Ryder Cup is ultimately because of these two guys. I think they're going to play a ton. I think they're going to go out in strong matchups. This, I didn't see. I should have seen this one coming from Europe, but I didn't. And it actually makes me a little bit nervous because, like, where where does Rory struggle, right? Sometimes scrambling, sometimes putting. Where is Holter the best? Yeah. He's the best putter over the last, like, 40 rounds or whatever on tour. He's one of the top scramblers. Like, if these two, an alt shot is kind of one of those weird things where yes. um, mm-hmm. you can get on the wrong path where all of a sudden they're – they're relying on Rory's putter and Poulter's driver, which they don't want to be on. But there's a path where they kind of get this right and they can take advantage of Rory's tee shots and Poulter with the flat stick and around the greens and with the pitching wedges. Uh, and they can cause some potential problems for Team USA. I still like our side of it, but this one was a little wrinkle I didn't see coming. This is... Uh, it is fascinating because the Americans in general, Joe, I think what's going to happen is win, lose, or draw. I think Spieth, Thomas, DJ Morikawa, Cantley, Xander all get one more crack in the afternoon. I think that's likely. Um, if they win, certainly. If they lose, whatever. I think you give them one more chance, especially for the more established groups. The Rory Poulter one. This feels like the only you can you can only do this in alternate shot, I think. And I think that's mm-hmm. the plan. Yes. I do not I think it'll probably be Rory and someone else in the afternoon for okay. four ball, but but Poulter could be could be dangerous here. It's it's kind of fascinating the way that I think the Europeans are gonna have to shuffle their players a bit more. Absolutely. Yeah, I think Rory probably goes with Lowry in the afternoon because putting him with Poulter in in the in the um you know the best ball format isn't great for Rory and they don't want to not take advantage of one of their top two assets. So I think they put him with a stronger player, but you're right. And the alternate shot is, is wild. It's tougher to predict. And I think that this makes potentially 
uh, the type of matchup analytically that they were looking for when they kind of looked at the stats. Four matchups. Uh, the Americans are favored in all four. Uh, we know historically the Europeans have been better at alternate shot. How do you see this shaking out on Friday morning in our very first session? I have a heavy wager on Team USA. I hope that it shakes out well for us. I think that we're so much deeper. Look, I think that if we can get through Friday and Saturday at level, I think Sunday is our day. Like, I feel like top to bottom, those bottom six matches, we're going to have an advantage. We're going to be favorites in all six of those bottom matches. I think when they roll out the individual matchups, probably nine of 12. So I think it's just about sort of getting to that point. But the big storyline, I think, for the afternoon is we're going to release the Kraken. Who are we releasing it with, Rick? Um... Scotty Scheffler. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, it is fun. I agree <laughs> with a lot of what you say. Um, I, I have actually, I've, I've actually made two, I don't want to say sizable, but I've made two, two legitimate wagers. I, I have bet on team Europe to win this. Um, and I have also bet on team USA to win day three, because I, I, I agree with the sentiment that the Americans are likely to be favored. At worst, nine of ma- nine of the twelve matches. At best, depending on how the shuffle comes out, probably ten of them. You, yeah. you know, you know. So I, it, it, the the European team is going to have to build a lead before then. When you start get to when you get through Friday morning, there's not going to be a panic, right? There's not going to be like even if it goes three to one, no one's going to panic in either direction. But that's going to change after Friday afternoon when you're now one day in, and if you are trailing six to two or something like that either side we're going to be right we're going to be writing the stories already bryson dechambeau um i don't uh, this it's not the fit that i would have gone with but the the all of the practice rounds all of the pods that they've created are are implying that it is going to be bryson and scotty scheffler playing together so do you think well all right so those two are going to play together in the afternoon Who's the other team that sits? Does DJ Morikawa sit then? Or do you think that leaves Finau? Because we can't leave Finau on the bench again. Like, he's got to play the afternoon. And if he plays the afternoon, that means likely DJ or Morikawa are not going to play the afternoon, I would think. Unless- I don't. I don't think I don't think Kepka Berger play in the afternoon just okay. because I don't, I don't think they're going to play Kepka four times or five times. I just, I don't think that. Okay. So I think you can remove Kepka Berger. And then I think the most likely is that you don't play DJ Morikawa in the afternoon and you get, you get some fresh blood in there with, with Bryson and Scheffler and Finau. And probably I think that leaves him with Harris English. I'd have to look up. Um, I, I wrote this down earlier. So, but, but I mean, Spieth, Thomas, Kent, Lysander are going five times, right? I mean, you just, you, there's, there's only so many spots in the afternoon on Friday. They, they both have, I think they both are going to go five times. And it just, it's tough because I understand that you have 12 guys on the team and you want to keep people involved. But man, does that like make me wonder, like if I'm captain, I'm going to not play a 23-year-old number three player in the world major champion, um, WGC champion, and I'm not going to play him because I think 36 holes, which could end up being like 28 holes, 
maybe too much for him in a day, like just to get Harris English in there. Like that's where I struggle with it. And I'm like, our best chances are to go with our best players. And I get that isn't the way the Ryder Cup always is, but that's just coming at it uh, from my perspective and, and something circling around in my brain these last couple of days. If you were, and what's really fascinating is whatever plan they have right now might not be the plan after Friday morning. And there's, I was going to ask you, do you think it's cemented? Because he, Stricker said in his presser that he told the guys on Monday when they showed up and when they first met, these are my pairings for Friday. So they already know the afternoon pairings. You don't think that they know the Saturday pairings yet? No, I, I hope not, Joe. Dude, I I think so too. You can't, you can't just lock yourself into that. No, that'd be so stupid. I would be, I would tell all of these guys, um, be ready ready at all times. You, whatever session you need to do, whatever it takes to be ready, assume you're playing five, understand that a lot of you are not, uh, the vast majority of you are going to play like two or three, maybe like, Mm -hmm. yeah, but you need to be ready at all times. Cause what happens? So again, I think Spieth and Thomas can't let Xander go out a second time, no matter what, no matter what, that's just kind of the way American has America has done it. It's, it's the writing on the wall. What if DJ and Morikawa win like five and four, right? You're not, you're not going to put them back out there. I DJ would. DJ is our most experienced guy. Colin is the team, like him and Vic, like there's, there's rookies in the Ryder cup. Right. And we see it every time him and Vic. I don't really like it's not like Scotty where they pretty much got in over the last two months. They've known for a year and a half, probably two years, that Stricker is calling Morikawa's name, that uh, Patty is going to call Vic's name. They're going to be relied on. They've been in these meetings. They've been in talks. Like They've been an integral part of this team for a long time, and they will be for a long time. I think playing. I think it is a huge mistake to – already be cementing guys into certain spots after a few sessions ahead. You just, there's just, just going to be, there's going to be weird stuff that happens tomorrow morning, Joe, there's going to be weird stuff and you're not going to know, or even like, you know, if you're down, what if you go one and three in the morning? And now it's like, uh, like maybe I got a out there. Right. Do I run? I love Harris. Am I really going to run out Harris English and Tony Finau instead of DJ and Morikawa? Like, I I can't imagine that. So I really hope it's not cemented. Speaking of weird and quirky things, give me an odds percentage that we see Brooks and Bryson in the zero. I thought you were going to say that. I think everybody's saying that. But it it makes so much sense in best ball. They're going to make birdies. One of them is going to make a birdie on every hole. Like if they can just I, go out there and smash driver and like, God, imagine how everyone sitting in the United States right now rallies behind this team. If they go out and Bryson drives the first green and buries it and they fist bump and grab the flag out, like the whole country would go nuts. I hope I am very wrong. I, I need to see this. Like I need oxygen. Okay. I hope I am wrong, but I just think, uh, and, and of course, uh, the, the, the best ball, the four ball format would be the way to do it. So these guys don't have to play each other's golf ball. They're right. basically not even, they're, they're just playing the same hole at the same time. They're not even really playing together. Um, <laughs> 
that would be the time to do it. And it would be definitely a rallying cry. It would be a big moment. Maybe you keep that in your back pocket. If like you need a spark, I don't know. I just On Saturday afternoon, you, maybe. Yeah. you start to read the quotes and the tea leaves. And there is just, I don't think there's any way these two guys play together. I what I think is going to happen. So you, you, you heard Bryson say something fun's coming. Is it Did a match? Know? It's got to be the match. They, okay. It's got to be. It has to be Bryson and a celebrity versus Brooks and a celebrity. They usually do it, what, around Thanksgiving, which means yeah. they usually start announcing it like now. I think mm. I think that's what we're going to get, and that's going to be the final. Ha, ha, ha. We all made some money off of this. Isn't this a great time? It's over. I know. I just think it would be – so, so much has gone on, man. Like, you printed the T-shirts, Team Bryson, Team Brooks. <laughs> like, there's been this divide – for six months now and it's just for me it's just the opportunity to like for them both to sort of move on squash it and it's the opportunity for everyone on team brooks like myself to be endeared by bryson and him come right back into our arms and everyone who took team bryson is now like okay brooks like let's this is over we are team usa i I hope you are right. I it would be if this was a movie it's that so would be you just, you would just give you you would give that locker room speech. It would be like what like I completely agree it would be it would be amazing. I actually think if it was a different captain we we might. I think Stricker's too nice. I I think yeah. he doesn't want to make ruffle any feathers or make anybody uncomfortable. There are definitely captains that would have been like, "Oh, you two are playing together and like I don't really care." Like that's yeah. that's what makes me uncomfortable though. Like I, to me, Brooks doesn't care. Like he, he'd be okay with it. And I think Bryson would like welcome it as just like a chance to end all of this drama. I don't know. We've talked about it too much already for something. I know, but I, I hope it does. If it does, I'll be so stoked. The, yeah. th- this, this format. So again, so we're going to go uh, alternate shot. And we're going to go best ball on, on, on Friday. Uh, generally speaking, it, even though there's going to be a lot of points available, Whatever happens on day one is generally a pretty good indicator for how this is going to shake out. So when we talk about getting off to a good start, like we really kind of mean that, right? Like seeing, and there was, um, gosh, I cannot remember who there was somebody from sky sports. So it was someone in, it was someone from the European Ryder cup team from like years ago was saying that first match, Joe, it, it, Every every match after that, they're watching the scoreboard and they're gathering energy off of it and they're like looking at it as a key moment. So this is really going to be it's not like a PGA Tour event where we ease into it on Thursday, then we separate ha- the half the field on Friday, then we make a move on Saturday, then we determine it on Sunday. It's like this is going to be cranked up to 100 from the very first tee shot on Friday morning. Yeah, and you see that based on the Sunday pairings when they come out, right? Like we aren't saving, uh, neither captain is ever going to save Cantlay v. Rom for the last match. Like they're going to go out first. Rom's going to go out first because the fact if Rom puts a point on the board, everyone sees that. It gives a shot of adrenaline to everyone still out there on the course, just like when we put uh, JT or Tiger out there first in so many Ryder Cups. So um, yes, the very first point of this thing is important. Interesting, like I think in Paris, we were up five to three after day one, and they totally flipped it on us from there. So uh, we can see that flip. I think that if you're trying to bet Team USA at this point, I think laying the two to one is not the move. 
Um, I think there's other avenue and betting markets out there to sort of take this thing on, whether you try to predict the winning score margin, you wait a little bit and try to get it live. You just play Sunday. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the value right now in just taking the to win the trophy is on the European side. And I understand that. Uh, but there's ways out there and plenty of sort of props and specials and different ways to attack this thing. Yeah. I don't like the, um, I don't like the exact score, but the winning margins are cool. I like like yeah. one to three, four to six or whatever. That's my bet. Yeah. If you, if you think the, um, there's, there's kind of two. So if you think the Europeans are going to win, you can get a better number. If you think they're going to win one to by one to three, which is, you can't imagine the Europeans, if they win this, are going to blow the Americans out. So you take Correct. one to three, that's four to one, or you could, you could make the case that, uh, raw talent prevails and the Americans run away with this thing and win it by like six points. And then that actually gives you a lot of value as well. So, I mean, there are, there are definitely some intriguing ways to wager on this. It's essentially our Super Bowl. Yeah. So basically what I did is I combined the USA to win by one to three and by four to six. And you end up when you combine the two, you put the same money on them at around plus 152 when you combine those two. So you're still at plus 1.5x versus laying two to one. Um, and you're just kind of rolling the dice that we don't boat race this thing. But, you know, I look at since 1985, we've never won by more than six points. Um, so it's not I don't feel like it's that likely that, that we get out to this massive run and go and win this thing by seven, eight, nine. But I also feel like if you you kind of get a vibe early on, like if we're going to win by seven or eight, you're going to know about halfway through that this thing's over. Uh, and you can, and then you can sort of hedge yourself out from there. Oh boy. I cannot wait for this. Uh, anything else? Is there, is there one? So I talked about Morikawa and, uh, Hovland. Is there one? Let's assume, let's assume we are, we are all tied going into Sunday. Uh, is there one match you, you need to see on Sunday? God, I, I, I hope that. We like I can't lay Rom to me is going to be. I hope that that's the guy. I think can't lay wants it. I think that in like Patrick is a dog, man. And in his mind, in his mind, and he's not right, but in his mind, he's got John Rom's number. Like right. that's his mentality. And I think he's not bashful about it. And I think he's open with Stricker. Like, I want Rom. I'm going to be our guy. And I think that's the one how they kind of duel down the stretch. And Patrick has such a um, unfazed, you know, attitude. I, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see um, how they play this thing out with Brooks. I hope that he plays a lot. I think that he's going to be fantastic. And and I want to see the, the sort of, I want to see the crack and get after it, man. I want to see him have 140 in on these par fives and, and get after that very first hole. Like, that's such a momentum swing. If he can get close to driving that green like he did in the practice round, the place the tee box is going to go bananas. It's going to be awesome. It really is. I cannot wait for it. We are hours away. Uh, by the time some of you are listening to this, it might be on. So, Joe, uh, a lot of fun as always. That was a full show, brother. We did football. We did Ryder oh, Cup. We are, like, uh, expanding ourselves. This is kind of crazy. <laughs> It was so much fun, man. We'll get back to the normal jock markets when the PGA Tour season returns. Is it we got next week? Yeah, Sanderson. Sanderson Farms next week. Beautiful. Great. Um, Can't wait. Which, by the way, I should probably plug. Use the code POWER if you want a $50 yeah. deposit bonus. If you're going to play football, if you're going to play golf, if you're going to do whatever you want, use the code POWER. It's a $50 deposit bonus, a match. Uh, it's the best possible 
match that is available to you. Follow Joe on Twitter at Tour Picks. You can follow me at Rick Run Good. This has been your power hour for this football slash Ryder Cup Thursday. Good luck, and we'll talk to you soon.